You are in the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod. Bridget is in the Grotto Pod. We're all here in the Grotto Pod. Mm, I'm experimenting awesome. with unusual pauses today. Uh, with you me, of course, <laughs> another famous Jew. With me, of course, Bridget Quinn, author of... God, oh. it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, it's Broad Strokes. Broad Strokes. Come on, Fifteen Rosen. women who made art and made history in that order. But I'm still stuck by William Shatner's Jewish. Oh, yeah. You can look it up. And Leonard Nimoy together. Uh-huh. That's Star so Trek. interesting. Almost as Jewish as Jay Giles' band. Um, um, I'm like reeling. My brain is reeling. <laughs> come back to Earth because today our guest is firmly uh, rooted oh. in the ground. She's a very realistic woman. She's a very serious woman. She is Yukari Kane. Former Wash- Wall, Street, Wall Street, Journal. Street Journal, I almost said Washington Post. I know. Wa- Wall Street Journal uh, reporter and expert on Apple, the company Apple. Well, I think early in her career, uh, she is Japanese American because she is was born in Japan and <laughs> is also American. Wait, so that's she how is- someone becomes Japanese American? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not always. Like I'll your great 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 grandparents could be sure. Japanese. Okay. I'm just saying she is both Japanese and American. Okay. So she's she, a woman with two countries. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Um, and we should talk about that. But anyway, about the whole Japanese American thing. We At will. any rate, um, so I think she covered a lot of tech in Japan, and okay. so she had kind of like a foot on the ground of the tech industry there, right. and that's partly why she kind of really knew the ins and outs of tech. Eventually, she wrote a book called Haunted Empire: Apple After Steve Jobs. Was published in 2014 uh, and really established her as the go-to yeah. uh, as far as information in Apple. There was something um, I took out of her out of her bio that was interesting. Uh, she was credited for being the recipient of controlled leaks from inside Apple. That's right. Which I think, if I read it correctly, she says isn't so. I don't know. We should ask her about that. But I, I do think she's that. a master interviewer, and I have taken Maybe interview classes. Oh, no, no, that's not really her. Well, job. she's going to be disappointed in us. Well, I, yeah, I don't know if we're really. I mean, she's been on CNN. She's been on PBS. I took, I, all and, and she's initials, a professor at uh, Berkeley. UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. So I took a class on interviewing with her, mm-hmm. and uh, she has techniques where you could see how you could leak to her. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I don't want to leak anything. They're not unethical her. at all. They're just masterful. No. Uh, and right now she's doing a monthly column f- uh, from Japan, well, for a, a Japanese a newspaper of living in Trump's America. Yeah. You know, I take offense to that statement. Why isn't it my America? I'm here, right? It should right? be. It's Larry's America. Well, what the heck, Oh, my man? gosh. That has a great ring, Larry's Doesn't America. <laughs> It's dawn in Larry's America. It's dawn. Well, it's actually, it's always dusk in my America. It's, it's, actually it's the, always dusk It's in actually Larry's always America. the middle of the night in my uh, America. It's gloomy. <laughs> always correcting me. But uh, so really, you know, we're going to get a heavy hitter in here. In just a yeah. few minutes, it all is calm right now. But soon there will be a journalistic presence in the Grotto Pod. Uh, but what we want to talk to her about some, and yes, we want to hear about all this, yeah. but she's doing something right now that is really interesting. Super she cool. is one of a handful of advisors on the San Quentin News. Mm-hmm. It's a newspaper uh, created by uh, inmates at San Quentin Prison. Yep. Uh, they're always laying around the office here at the Grotto. Uh, Not so the I, prisoners. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, when we have bank robbers, they visit, they come to and the grotto pot, and then they leave. Right. We don't let them hang around. But the San Quentin News. Copies of the San Quentin here. News are always laying around the grotto pot. I yep. picked one up earlier. It was very interesting. It had, you know, it has a, it has a very, um, I don't know if I would say positive. Upbeat? Yeah, it's very upbeat. It's You, you had asked, oh, does that have a lot of expletives? No, not at all. It's, mm-hmm. it's very, um, it has kind of a can-do philosophy behind it, I feel That's like. That's awesome. Yeah, and it actually did have a sports section. I went, all the, where's the sports section? There it is. There's an inmate playing dominoes with Draymond Green. No way. True story. And the thing about the uh, the San Quentin Mile Club, all guys who run the mile, uh, tennis. They had a, a picture of the USF tennis team. So is there a sports reporter? Like that, what a great gig that would be I don't of know. all the gigs to have. <laughs> right. I don't know if, it, I, you know, I looked at people's bylines, and I don't know if any of them, it didn't seem like they were, they had beats. Right. You know, they were just either reporters or they were, I mean, some of them, I will have to ask you, Kari, because some of them said they were guild members. Um, I don't know if that meant they were not inmates. Mm -hmm. Um, 
A lot of crazy stuff. And, okay. And well, by crazy, we'll I mean great. have to be sure to get to that. So we will get to that. Uh, we will also cover Yukari's fascinating career. Maybe we'll get some inside dope about Apple while we're at it. Yeah, that'd be oh, good. That'd be pretty sweet. So uh, she's been sitting out there waiting forever. I know. This is terrible. Here we go. And her office is right across from the grotto pod. I know. Poor Yukari because we always put up the things like, be quiet, be quiet. I know. Well, she's kind of quiet anyway. Let's go get her. She has to interview people on the phone, though. Oh, yeah. That's, that's her right. job. Okay. All right. Go Bye. get her. Yukari Kane. Hi. Welcome to the Grotto Pod. It's thrilling to be in this expansive cozy space. space. I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hearing about it a lot on your. Uh, <laughs> I know, perhaps at too much length. But, but now that you're in I here, enjoy them. It's oh, good. Really small. It's see. Yeah. It's kind of all you can think about, right? Mm-hmm. I know. I, that's all I can think about is that I have to lose five pounds. Um, no, no, it doesn't matter. It's the chair. My first question for you, Yukari. Yeah. Can you hear us from your office? Yes. Okay. I will uh, remember not to talk about you. Carly. Right. But no mental work. Well, I mean, just don't. now when you were doing my intro, I, my Dumbo ears are. Oh, you could idea. hear. Ooh. Well, don't I didn't hear. It. I was trying not to hear. Oh, but I mean, because you're going to listen to it later, you can hear. Oh, we didn't say anything negative. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of anything negative about you, Kari. We're not in the habit of saying negative That's things true. on people while we're introducing <laughs> them. <laughs> Onto the show. <laughs> but I especially adore Yukari because she's not only a great writer, but she's also a great party thrower. Mm. And you like parties. I do. We were I just do. talking about this. And I've been to Yukari's home and it was lovely. I know. I'm always impressed by that. Um, a good host. A it's very a hard good, thing to do. The hostess with the mostest. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk no, about. Not at all. <clears throat> I told the world we got a heavy hitter in here and we do have a heavy hitter. Yukari. Yes. As a journalist. It's not, it's not me or Larry. <laughs> no. <laughs> No. Um, one of the reasons we want to talk to you today is so we can talk about what you're doing at San Quentin, but we don't want to start there. Okay. I am actually really interested. You know, and you and I have had plenty of conversations, often about your future, but never about your past. <laughs> that is true. Larry's my grotto uh, therapist. Career counselor. Yeah. I yeah. prefer oh. a career counselor, life coach. Yes, not rabbi. Definitely. Not rabbi. No, okay. Lee, Lee is everyone's rabbi. I see. That's more Noted. of an inspirational sort of uh, spiritual guide. Oh, okay. This is more practical advice. Life coach. Life coach from Larry. <clears throat> but when someone goes as hard into journalism as you do, where does that come from? And, and we were also trying to determine what your background. So I called you Japanese American, and then I backed up, and I was like, "Well, she's Japanese and American." Which and I said Larry is one of the qualifications for but being it is a different. Yeah, it is. Well, it is different. So where yeah. were you born? I was born in Tokyo. Okay. There you, um, go. there you go. Japanese. I was, yeah, I was Japanese for, I mean, I guess I'm still Japanese. Yeah. But we were, my family was, um, we're, we were expats here because my dad worked for a Japanese multinational company and we moved with him. So we moved back and forth three or four times. And so I think I spent most of my childhood, even though I'd grown up mostly here, but more as in the mentality of a guest. Right. How did that impact your career choice and the way you approach it? Um, well, so it well it it did because I I grew up in the eighties when um, U.S. Japan relations weren't. We're a little bit tense. Um, right, and, and especially in pop culture, there could be a little bit of a, you know, the, the Japanese menace in terms of taking over all the economic power and right. all right. that I mean, stuff. Japan was, you know, Japanese companies were buying all these right. buildings. And, right, exactly. And be, I think that was around the time that Sony bought... Um, oh, um, uh, motion pictures. Columbia yeah, Pictures yeah. And, and Panasonic bought um, Universal. Right, there was the, this feeling like Japan is the future. The future is Japanese. Yeah. In the eighties, and there's well, a lot of t- whether you like it or not. Yeah, I mean, we were we were like the China of the eighties, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how did that filter down into your experience? Um, I well, you know what? I the so the official storyline is that I felt I read about the tension and I saw a lot of misunderstandings on both sides, and I wanted to to. Um, to write the truth and, and, and clear that up. And, and, and I meant that sincerely, but I don't know now whether how much of it was planted by my mom. <laughs> oh, <laughs> saying really? you should do this? Yeah, that you yeah. should do this. This yeah. would be a great job for you. Wow, you seem so well-suited to your job. So I'm fascinated that that could have come from, from outside your mom, of yourself. Yeah. Who apparently knew you very well. And so then I went to school. Um, I went to Georgetown, and I was in D.C., which is where every 
media company in the world is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's a good place to, I guess, try out media. You know, mm-hmm. I did an internship with CNN. Um, I worked for a Japanese newspaper. I worked for a think tank and just... And, and then, and then wow. I guess... Told you she was a heavy hitter. Yep. Experience soon made me not qualified for anything else. Right. <laughs> right. Narrowed it down. Pretty soon you were going to spend the rest well, of your life in Washington. But you're qualified for media, not didn't necessarily have to be writing. That's true. That's true. What came? What was it? Was it a love of reporting or a love of writing then that that sort of crystallized it for you? Writing has always been really hard for me. Like I think you I'm a better Fred. reporter than a writer. Interesting. Uh, I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are places I want to go with it. Uh, but I think, I feel like I've only recently, since I started writing books, mm-hmm. that I've come to appreciate and care as deeply as I do about the art of writing. So you feel maybe you were more invested <clears throat> in getting across information or in. Talking the to people, story. getting the story. Yeah. I really like talking to people. That's the part of journalism I find the most terrifying. It can be. I mean, it's interesting because I am actually fascinated with this idea that journalism is two separate things. Mm-hmm. It's reporting and writing. And mm-hmm. My problem, I work for newspapers, and I'm a terrible journalist. I'm, I'm a good Which side? Yeah, which side? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? In your opinion. Oh, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm a terrible journalist. I... Just don't, well, put me in a library and say, research this for six hours, happy as I could be. I see. Yeah, it's the same for me, the interviewing part. Go interview strangers. That's why I took a class with Yukari on interviewing Mm -hmm. for that very reason. Totally forgot about that. Yeah. It's a fantastic skill to have, though, especially at parties. It's true. Are you good at parties? I am good at drawing people out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really bad at talking about myself. Mm, like right now, you don't like want to talk right about yourself. Just okay. having a hard time. Well, let's let's just move then into how did you end up back in Japan? Because you you worked for the Wall Street. My understanding, yeah. you worked for the Wall Street Journal, but ended up reporting from Japan. Well, so I worked at Reuters first. All right. I was in Chicago, <clears throat> and I thought I was in Chicago. I was happy. I like my colleagues. I like my job. I thought I could live there. Yeah, good for city. the rest of my life. It's my, a fun place Patrick, to be. Patrick, my husband's family is there. Oh, don't say your husband's name. Oh, why? I don't know. I just, I, that's like that's. I always get on her when she says her husband's I know. name. My, my husband Roy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and uh, and then one day, one of my colleagues had come back from London, and she was just talking up the experience. And I was like, well, maybe I should go to London. And you know, I called my husband up. I um, love this. David. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I said, you know, there's a job open in London. Maybe oh, so when I was going, you were going to like move to London. Well, this was like in the span of 10 minutes. Oh, my goodness. And he's goodness. a civilian with he's a non-writing a job. He's an Irish-American whose family... It's Chicago. From the Chicago right. area. Yeah, and he works in... Nobody ever leaves. Oh. And um, and then so I... And this is all like, I don't know, an email or something. And so I said, you know, do you want to go to London? And he's like, well, if we're going to do that, then we should go to Tokyo because it makes more sense. Oh, my gosh. Because you know the so lay of the land type of deal? thoroughly thought through. And so... This, this is an email exchange. Yeah. Yeah, in great. Span of t- and I was like... What is... T- you would go to Tokyo. I mean, he spoke no Japanese. Wait, describe to me... The feeling in your body as mm-hmm. you're sending these emails back and forth, and it goes from a whim <laughs> to something that actually is going to happen. And something you have a stake in. I mean, I would think yeah, going to Japan, like, it's like, wow, yeah, maybe I could bring something to you're that. You're determining like, the future it. of your career. On a whim. On a whim. And are you yeah. calm? Are you sweating? Are you nervous? Does it feel like right across here? No. Uh, it's excited? Like, oh, okay. Wow. And then I looked, and there was there was a position for a tech reporter in Tokyo, and so was it, it the, uh, was it the Wall Street Journal? No, it was at the Reuters. Okay. And so so this is how you got into tech? You weren't already? A tech no, I was already. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I got into tech because I started covering cell phones. Got it. Uh, because Motorola was in Chicago at the time. Mm. They were the number two company in the world. Did you have remember. an interest in tech before that? <clears throat> no, I did it because I was looking. I was trying to get my foot in the door, and this was the time of, um, if anybody remembers, the 
the, the Motorola clamshell phones and the candy bar phones. Remember, I had one. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so um, nobody wanted to cover it because it was growing and it wasn't super important yet. Mm. And so I thought I'd do it. Can I back up a second and yeah. ask when you got into journalism, like what was your ideal, your dream beat? I think, gosh, I don't know if I had a dream. You just wanted to get in. It was the market was so tight. I was just desperate to get in, Mm -hmm. and I didn't really care where I started. So you go to Japan, and and how does David like (laughs) being there, having made this decision on a whim? Um, he did really well there. So there are a couple things that were difficult about our situation. One was that he ran a company here. He had a consulting company here and so That's a mild, major he was working obstacle. in Japan right. with US clients. Harder then than it is now probably. Um I don't know. I mean it's it was tech related and he's got all the the tech skills mm-hmm. to make it not that hard, but I think the time difference was yeah. brutal, yeah. especially at day t- daylight savings, because then all of a sudden your 5 a.m. meetings become 4 a.m. meetings. Right. And then on the back end, you still have to deal with, you know, on, on one end right, you're dealing with the East Coast, and, and on the back end you're de- right. dealing with the West Coast. So you can never drink at dinner, which, <laughs> which, which if you know David, is. It's like having a morning radio show. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder how those guys do it. Um, so, so, you must have done well there, though, career-wise, because eventually you come back. Yes. And did you go U.S. News & World Report? No, I started my career right after college at U.S. News & World okay. Report. Then um, a bunch of stuff happened, but I ended up at Reuters. And then? And I went to Tokyo with Reuters. And then while I was there, I made the move to the Wall Street Journal. Got it. And what year is this? When? When you made the move to the Wall Street Journal. It was probably... I would say 2003, no, that can't be right, four-ish? So right around um, right around the time when, when the newspaper world is getting a little chaotic, or was it before that? It was that? already. Okay. Yeah. But you continue to go, you come back, and then somewhere, explain to me how you became the world's biggest expert on Apple. <laughs> You know, most most things in my life just happen by... And everyone loves you for it. I, I, you know, I... I <laughs> it seems like we have a lot of people coming here with things just happen to. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. We yeah. we talked to Joe Faith. Joe Boya. Things oh, just yeah. oh, yeah. Joe Faith, and Faith. Just it was yeah. incredible. Yeah. But, but, yeah, so, so, um, but you know what they say, fortune favors the prepared mind. And you make yeah, your own luck. They, Correct. Yeah, that doesn't help for the future, but... Yeah. So that's true. Yeah. Um, so we were in Japan for about five years, and David had had it with the time difference. That's a long time. That is and, a long time. And uh, wanted to get back. And so I talked to um, uh, an editor there who was in charge of, like, recruitment, a wonderful woman named Kathy Panagoulias. And I said, well, you know, Kathy, I'd like to come back. But, you know, I'm not – I want to come back into a really yeah. good beat. I don't want just any beat. Right. And she was like, well, isn't – Apple good enough for you? And I was like, what are you talking about? Yes. <laughs> uh, Nick Linkfield, who's at the New York Times right now, had Apple at that time. And I was like, well, Nick's doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it turned out that Nick was going to move to San Seattle to cover Microsoft. And so it was opening up. It's always Microsoft or Apple. And so back then especially, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, um, so I got the job and then I filled out the application for the job like a month after I started. <laughs> let, me point, let me point something out Excellent. about Let me point something out about what we were calling luck here. Yes. She wouldn't have thought to say that to you if you <laughs> hadn't earned some level of respect. Right. And you were known as a reporter who got people to talk in Japan. And yeah. Japanese business uh, people are normally are, reticent. Are yeah, closed lips in in that corporate culture. That was my understanding. Well, you do have to get a few drinks into that. Yeah. yeah. So you knew you and knew the ropes. Nuts, you huh? did it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it was really interesting because it's there's so much nuance in reporting in Japan. You know, yeah. they say things, but they're implying other things. Was it? And you kind of have to know mm-hmm. what this means. Saying this means this. So yeah. was it hard to adjust then culturally? Your interviewing style when you got back to the U.S.? No, I think it actually helped a lot 
because um, first I had to work harder in Japan, so it just made me um, work. I never took anything for granted. You know, the Wall, I think when you work for a paper like the Wall Street Journal or any of the top papers, you can get used to just stuff coming to you. And when you're in Japan, right. where the, the thinking is still fairly domestic and the top papers are not the Wall Street Journal, but the, the Japanese equivalents, mm-hmm. you still have to work. I mean, it's easier to be the Wall Street Journal than some, mm-hmm. some minor publication, but right. you still have to work for it. And so coming into covering Apple where – you know, Steve Jobs was still alive then, and people were afraid to talk of regardless course. of whether there was any direct impact to them. I mean, the fear of just getting screamed at by him was enough to get people not to talk. And so it really required me to to, to be creative about who mm. to talk to, how to get them to talk to me. Uh, and Can so you say was, a little bit about that? How, <laughs> did, how do you get people to talk to you? Uh, you can't go to them. When you need something, you have to start the relationship mm. before that. And so it's um, – I try to understand the situation. Oftentimes I had people that I went to to just get their thoughts on the themes that I was exploring. Um, also, you have to start really far outside the circle. So if you are looking to figure out what – the next iPhone is going to look like, for example, you think about all the people in that world that might know a little piece of it, right? And then, and who might be a little bit um, honored to be asked, or is it mm, not like that? It can Flattered, be. I maybe should you say. know, it can yeah. be. Um, mm-hmm. But then you have to find out. Sometimes you have to work even further out and think about the people who know those people. Mm-hmm. So you got to be you got to be patient, and then you put together and persistent. a puzzle. Yeah. I know you've probably spent a lot of time talking about Apple, but I am a little curious. So, what was the what was the culture like under Jobs? You just sort mm-hmm. of painted a gruesome picture, <laughs> <laughs> and then how did that change? Um, I mean, Steve was everything when he was alive. You know, the the company revolved around right. him. Um, having said that, I came in at a really weird time because it was right after he had lost a ton of weight after uh, one of the developers' conferences, and nobody knew what was going on. He was trying to pass it off as a cold, and so wow. and it also coincided at, at the same time as one of the the biggest um, uh, growths. In, for, the company. for the company, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was um, right after the App Store had come out, uh, before the iPad. And so all of a sudden wow. I was coming into the situation where things were happening really, really fast for mm-hmm. Apple. They were suing people. They were getting sued. And then there was this whole question mark about what was going on with Steve. And was that the biggest secret? What was well, going yeah. on with Steve? Were there <clears throat> yeah. people that knew? Very few, but yeah. Um, and um, it was – and so that was my – number one assignment when I came into it. Uh, and sounds terrifying. Steve do, has traditionally liked to talk to the media, but it was at a time when he was, to, you know, he was under lockdown. Um, he wasn't saying anything. You know, Steve was on sick leave for at least half the time that I was covering Apple. Wow. Um, and so it was... Um, so you were really talking to all the people around him and trying to build a story. Yeah, a and picture, I, I should say. And I have this image of a large circle, and you're trying to get closer and closer until you're next to him. Well, I mean, the health the health story was really weird. I don't know that anybody who covered Apple at that time was happy doing it. Um, you know, obviously, whenever you came out with a story, you get calls from the companies. You know, right? You know, not kind of harassing. You know, this why is this a story? Mm-hmm. Um, other things, um, and you don't. It does. It never feels good to have to dig into somebody's mm-hmm. life at a time of weakness. Absolutely. Uh, what really helped was when a source of mine, um, who I got to know pretty well, said to me, "You know what? Steve spent decades making sure that the spotlight was on him and on him alone, and he doesn't get to take that, you know, mm, to, right. to step out of it be- just because he wants to. He has to, he, you know, he, he's put himself there, and now he has to deal with it. 
That's and, a really good point. Um, and that made me feel a lot better. And so my personal policy was was that I care to the extent that it mattered to the company, the future of the mm-hmm. company, uh, but I wasn't going to delve more than that. So, of course, you hear stuff about, you know, what kind of drugs are is he taking? Um, oh, that was a lot. I mean, even someone like me who was not <clears throat> following tech at all was hearing the rumors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? He wasn't doing anything. He was doing juice fast. He was doing whatever. You know, there was yeah. a lot of rumors. And so... Um, Titillating rumors. You know, and, and sometimes you're under pressure and you, you have to, but I really... That was a line that I, I, I was working really hard not to cross. And that's quite a challenge for a young journalist or even a very experienced journalist. Uh, you can most, Many people can go their whole career without getting to that line. Yeah. You know, I teach at um, UC Berkeley's uh, grad, school. grad school, and I do this lecture uh, for all the first years. Um, and it's about the moments in your life that mm-hmm. define you as a journalist. And I teach it by... It's it's um, I teach it as a choose your own adventure, and I put the students in my shoes um, during a couple of key moments oh, in my career wow. and get them to think about like so how far would you go? What would you do? And so I you know this, how to cover Steve's health was was one of them. And ironically, I'm you know <clears throat> you faced your own health challenge mm-hmm. uh, at the same time or shortly after. Yeah, I love to write a book on. Uh, Shortly after, well, around the time that Steve died, um, I left to write a book about Apple. Um, Haunted Empire. Ha- called Haunted Empire. Thank you. Uh, Apple after Steve Jobs. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the week that my book launched, I got a call from my nephrologist, and he told me that I had late-stage kidney failure. My God. And so literally between interviews, I was in a conference call with my nephrologist about how to get myself on the transplant list. Um, Incredible. It was a really surreal moment. And then you finish the book, Mm -hmm. and then you go on vacation for six months. (laughs) Yes. But you got a story out of it. I did get a story out of it. Uh, And it's a pretty unique (laughs) circumstance. Explain how that that came about. Well, so, you know, getting on the transplant list isn't – isn't a super quick process. You have to do an orientation. They have to to be. They need some stuff, um, and then you need to be on the transplant list before your friends and family can get tested uh, for compatibility. And are you thinking the whole time? Let's get going here. Time's a wasting. Kind of. Um, yeah. There. You, you know, do you think being a journalist helps? Like finding the information, knowing who the person, getting to who it is you need to talk to or see. You know, I kind of let David mm-hmm. do all that. <laughs> and he was really good at it. He was really, you know, he's yeah. a software engineer. Right. He's a problem solver. And so he started trying to solve this problem. And That's he awesome. was on top of it. So it allowed me not to be. But it was frustrating to realize that, you know, it's going to be months before I knew whether my sisters who, you know, kindly agreed to be tested we're going to be a match incredible and you know we were looking at the statistics in california it's you know it's a six-year wait and isn't it harder for asians and for for asians it could be harder so we're looking at potentially like 10 years oh my god if and and so with that lack of visibility we just decided to do something we've always wanted to do which is to travel the world right and um and i really wanted to see the gorillas in rwanda and i don't know that I can do that now with my immunosuppressant right. mm. oh, so I see so that was that part of the impetus to do it then because yeah. for your friends and we were casual friends at the time I thought man that just seems like pushing your health mm-hmm. oh it, it was because um, I was really sick I think I wasn't quite aware of how sick I was mm-hmm. and um, one of and and after I took this trip I wrote about it for the Wall Street Journal right. mm-hmm. and a ton of the comments that the readers wrote were like this is not possible at her levels because I wrote about my levels and how sick I was and uh, but you know we had figured out or we had calculated that I was not gonna ever die on the trip like if something happened so that's I always good. fly back <laughs> and um, but then I was talking to my surgeon a couple months ago, and I said this to him, and he's like, "Well," and he outlined a couple ways I could have died. So, I guess holy moly! I, I have to say, when that I, I sometimes <clears throat> refer to that article in my mind mm-hmm. when I think about how 
just jerky people can be mm. because the comments could be in to that article so unbelievably unsympathetic and clueless. Those comments don't sound like they were clueless, but many of them, I just was struck yeah, by people's internet, incent- you know. I guess. Yeah. I know, obviously. And, so that's what I tell myself when if a person who's in kidney failure can't go chase their right. dream without your judgment, then, um, you know, what hope and is I totally, there? And I totally get that we had the means to do that. Right. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't have the means right, to do that. Right, of course. That. And I was lucky because even though I was very sick, I didn't feel very sick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people... Just will throw up regularly. Right. They um, a lot of patients with kidney failure stop peeing. Oh my god! And that's why they need dialysis. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, you know, I wasn't healthy. Um, I was actually severely anemic, but um, but I wasn't actively sick. Or I didn't right. Feel actively. What sick. I'm interested in is this. So this is sort of a major interruption mm-hmm. in your career. How does it impact what comes out on the other side? So, you know, you wrote your book, and your book was pretty successful. Uh, You showed up on all the news Mm -hmm. shows. You got your diagnosis. You went away. And then you came back. So how was the person who came back different from the person who left? And will something happen when she came back? That's pretty important. What happened? You got a new kidney. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's important. Um, I think my career was on hold for a while. Um, one of the side effects of kidney failure is that you um, you're thinking there's like there's a neurological oh I know my father had kidney failure impact right mm-hmm. I mean and so mm. I, I, I for a little bit I lost the confidence to write professionally I didn't think that I was going to be able to write at my best so what did you think was going to happen then what were you going to well, do well once I got my transplant I figured things would go get back. better okay yeah but I just, for that time, I was like, you know what? This isn't what I need to focus on. Um, and it's not, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, and, I mean, friends became important. Family became important and all that stuff. Right. right? Um, and so I so I stopped. Um, and, then, and, and then, of course, again, things just kind of came to me. Um, but uh, I got the transplant. And then about a month as I was recuperating, I was like, well, you know, maybe I want to teach. Uh, a friend of mine awesome. called me, and I was like, and it was funny because I was like, well, you know, I want to teach. I'd love to to teach at UC Berkeley. Um, I should call a friend who's there right now and find out how I can eventually get there. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I know, there's an email from her saying, "Do you want to teach?" And I said, "Sure." Uh, I and love so, it. so that became a nice bridge to bringing me back into the world mm-hmm. of writing and journalism. Once again, you make your own luck. <laughs> so how to go from that? So you're teaching students at um, the J School at mm-hmm. Berkeley, pretty elevated student body, I would yeah, just yeah, hazard right. to guess. Um, and you're kind of getting your chops as a teacher. What's it like then and what made you decide to go into San Quentin? So that was another email. Um, it was actually around this time last year. I don't know. Um, one of our grad friends, Justine. Yeah, I remember seeing it. Mm-hmm. Had sent around an email saying that the San Quentin News needs a journalism teacher. Their current one is retiring. And um, first it was news to me that San Quentin had a newspaper. Of course, yeah. <clears throat> it's actually the only independently inmate-run newspaper in the country. Now, this isn't a decision to be made lightly. She moved to Tokyo for five years <laughs> on one instead of London. <laughs> on a whim. Yeah. Maybe it is a decision to be made lightly. Um, but it's not a thing where, where you're teaching. Ah, oh, Berkeley, St. Quentin. It's not the same thing, right? You know, I mean, I, at the risk of sounding really like... <laughs> bon vivant? <laughs> I, I, that's a good... Nothing wrong with that? Um, it kind of was. You know, I was in a place where I... At a time in my career when I was trying to figure out, well, like, how do you get to the next level, right? Whatever that is. I didn't mm-hmm. know what that is. I mean, that's one of the discussions that I have with Larry about, you know, what What is, is the next level? Um, Maybe I'll have to make an appointment with Larry later. <laughs> it's, he's really good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ironic, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and one of the things I've been noticing about people who make it or get wherever you mm-hmm. want to go is that they... Um, they just start things without knowing where it's going to go, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so I was like, well, I have the time. It was the commitment was Friday mornings. I have the flexibility. And maybe I should just do it and see what happens. And the other thing was that um, I had always been doing, you know, business reporting, international reporting, like really like high, like macro level stuff. Um, I didn't come out of the community newspapers. I didn't go into, you know, I didn't cover like the city beat. I never really did anything gritty. And I was kind of afraid of it. Yeah, I would be afraid. Definitely. And so um, I didn't want to be. And um, and then the other thing was was that I didn't want to be one of those people that had all the right opinions about civil rights or or about criminal justice or about social justice without really understanding. Mm-hmm. Right, the reality and, of what it is. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, 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 I was against the death penalty and, and you know, I'm – I know that most of a lot of inmates are, um, you know, are, are unfairly severely punished if they're black or Hispanic. Um, I know all those things, and I know them to be truths, but I don't really know. And and I also knew that, you know, I was afraid. You know, if I know that oh, there's a good chunk of people that are innocent, but. Probably, like, if, you know, I, t- I tended to, if I really... There's a lot who aren't. Yeah, if you were really honest, um, they're probably, oh, of most of them aren't, or, you know, just the fact that they're in prison is scary, right? And also, there's an emotional fear I could imagine feeling, which is realizing or knowing or suspecting someone is innocent, knowing they're there, and what are you going to do now? You know, or even if not what you're going to do, just how heartbreaking it is. Yeah. You know that's that's scary to to. So um, so face. I wanted to so I wanted to know for myself. I wanted to. It was a new experience I never thought of. It never crossed my life until now. And I thought, well, you know, I should do it. And um, and then there's you know there are other small reasons like I wanted to to do more in teaching. Mm-hmm. And how is it? It's been amazing. Um. You know, if you want to get a feel for it, um, Kamau Bell, who does the um, CNN show, United yeah. Shades of America, his second episode in the first season is about a trip to San Quentin, and he kind of takes you through. And it's really – I didn't watch it until after my first day there. Mm-hmm. and Good I, or bad idea to have waited to watch it? Oh, good. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. But yeah. what I did notice, what I did realize was that – Everything that he was saying, everything that he was seeing and felt was ex- almost the same that mm-hmm. I went through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's it's my first day there. I was afraid to just drive into San Quentin Village, which is the, which the is little town the, outside. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, why are these people living here? You know, why are they living there? Because <clears throat> they work at the prison. Oh, I don't not necessarily. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful there. Yeah, it's a great but, little you know, place. Why would you? Yeah. Oh, it's such a beautiful location. That's kind of the yeah. cruel irony of mm-hmm. San Quentin. Yeah. It's sort of like Alcatraz writ yeah. large. Yeah. Um, what about the, the special uh, circumstance of going there as a woman? Um, it freaks David out every single week. You're very, yeah. getting very comfortable with using David. I got to get way. better at that. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. It's, um, but you know what? But what's the reality? The reality is that they are so respectful. They're so appreciative of the volunteers. I mean, San Quentin is considered to be a kind of model prison um, because it's oh. got so many rehabilitation programs. It's got I so many educational that. programs. I think the fact that it's close to San Francisco means mm-hmm. that they get a lot of qualified volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's thousands, literally. Of yeah, I mean, I know people who are doctors there. And yeah, they're volunteer doctors. Yeah, um, and um, and so and a lot of the. The inmates have come through worse prisons, so they know mm. what San Quentin offers, and they know that the volunteers are a big part of it. Um, they they like having the ability to interact with the outside, and so they're really appreciative. Um, it was a real eye opener because when I first got there, the volunteers, like the women volunteers, would say to me, "I feel safer in here than I do outside." That is so interesting. That is interesting. And, um, wow. Well, is there a sense that in order to have signed up for this program as an inmate? You kind of you can't be the worst of the worst anymore. You kind of got to be like, all right, I want to make something of myself and do something while I'm here. Well, I mean, I think to be at San Quentin, 
you kind of have to be that okay. because it's so hard to get into. I did not know that. Yeah. I, all I know about San Quentin is that there's a death row. That's right. pretty much there's all I know. There's a death row. We never see them. The inmates never see them. Oh, uh, see. So there's San Quentin is... is um, it has a mystique. It, has, it does. It Johnny, has a death row. Well, Johnny Cash yeah. played there. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of it is is what they call level two okay. prison, which is um, they've committed serious crimes, but for because of good behavior or mm-hmm. whatever, um, they have a lot of freedom of movement. Mm. So, I mean, they're still locked up at night, but other than that, if you are um, most inmates in this area that, that I'm in are – have complete freedom of movement during the day unless there's some reason that they're on temporary. And do they get out? Of the prison? Yeah. Like, is there No, well, so most of them don't, Mm -hmm. but I think, so don't hold me to these facts. I'm kind of speaking out of what I've been told in drips and drabs, but um, I think when you are close to parole, they do have um, outside work groups. I see. Mm Mm-hmm. That they can do, uh, but in general, no. And in fact, I've you know I've you know I'll, I'll say things, I'll say stupid things, you know, in the prison, you know, something about you know, are you guys open on Saturday? And they'll, <laughs> they'll be like, oh, we're open twenty four seven. Are there people in your <clears throat> Are there people in your class who aspire to be journalists when they get out? Uh. Not in my class because I teach what's called the Journalism Guild. They like to describe it as the farm team for the newspaper. Um, and so the the reality of the paper so – th- so before I do that, let me step back. The newspaper has the cream of the cream crop – the cream of the crop staff. Mm-hmm. Creme all, de la creme, right. as they say. <clears throat> of the inmates because – I think because – they're um, they're organized so well, but writing and journalism requires discipline, and um, and so if you're going to be successful at it, you're going to be disciplined, determined, focused. Take criticism. Yeah, all yeah. those things. Right. Take suggestions. And so yeah. and and they've got good managers because you have to be able to manage, um, and. And so they are, um, yeah, some of them have aspirations of, of going to Berkeley, for example, when they get out. Uh, Do you think it's possible? Well, you know, I tell them that they probably don't need it. Wow. That yeah, I was going to ask, cool. so what's the gap between them and your students at Berkeley? Well, the students that I teach. Yeah, because you teach yeah. minor leaguers. I mean, it's, it can be wide. There's some really smart guys there. Um, it. Can be, but some a lot of it is because of the resources, the limited resources. Right. I mean, because think about the fact that they don't have internet. I was going to ask you, wow, how they do don't. they do? So the, the, all the reporting is just what happens there. They can't do research online. No, so they cover, um, you know, legal stories, <laughs> yeah. changes in criminal justice law. And they covered the election in the issue I saw laying around here. Yeah, and so it's you, what happens is that they come up with the story idea. Mm-hmm. Then they have outside volunteers who find articles I for see. them. They call them, you know, source materials, mm-hmm. and then they write stories off of other people's stories. Mm-hmm. So how does that how does that change your job knowing they don't have the internet? It's hard because what I'm so the practice until now, or, or the practice now, is that they essentially write an article off of another article, right? And I'm trying, which is to, not really journalism. It's no, I mean, it's not that different than being a wire reporter, mm-hmm. but it's not really because the original source material is not necessarily really good source material. Mm. And so I'm trying – my personal goal is to get them to a place where they start recognizing pieces of information that they need for their stories and they ask specifically for it. So not just rely on that story Mm. but think, oh, you know, I really should have this kind of data and then be able to ask for that data that a volunteer could then find. It requires a lot of things happening. And so many steps. Steps. a workforce outside, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's my personal goal, that they would not just write from one story, but maybe write, look at two or three stories, choose the best stuff. I mean, that's the problem with having an intermediary, is that they bring you back something, it's not what you needed. Send exactly. it back out again. Mm-hmm. They, you know, that's just the time well, alone. What about, what about when they do local news, like the story I saw about the USF tennis team coming to play tennis with the San Quentin team? They <laughs> yeah. can just go interview those guys, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So that is so fantastic. I obviously need, I have not read a copy. I didn't know it was here. Larry yeah, said it's just here. There. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm and I was terrible. telling uh, Bridget before you came in, the sense I got from reading it was not, I, what, I didn't say optimism. Upbeat. Upbeat. It was upbeat and sort of innocent in a way. Yeah, well, you know, it's... I think it's, in, I mean, obviously it's intentional. I mean, you have to remember that they have a circulation of about 28,000. And so it's distributed not just. <laughs> That's pretty it's huge. Yeah. I'm shocked. In San Quentin Prison, but it's also distributed in many other prisons in California. And, and so they're very cognizant about the fact that um, you. One, it makes to want to do better. So mm-hmm. you, you want to make sure mm-hmm. that they're success stories. But um, some of the guys were telling me that in some other prisons, for example, it's the only reading material that an inmate will have all month. You know, there'll be three books circulating among hundreds of Oof. inmates. And so this is literally the only thing. So is there um, – p- are there pieces that are not just straight journalism for that reason? Is there poetry? Is, is it like a literary magazine or no? Um, there's a different literary publication. Okay. Yeah, because I think there's a creative writing. What is it? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's Man- a podcast. They have a podcast that they're going to start soon. I'm, that, oh, is, that is fantastic. Anyone can do a podcast. Even yeah, us. well, that's true. Um, yeah, I saw the creative writing. It was like Men in the Pen or something or Literary yeah, Pen or something, like that, yeah. something like that. Uh, you know, there's been so many good writers that have come out of prisons, and we interviewed Joy Loya right, right. just a few weeks ago. That was a good writer who and, came out of prison. And who was friends with Kermit Piper. Is that her first name? Piper Kermit. Piper Other way. Kernan. Piper. Oh. I don't know. Piper. Anyway, Orange is the New Black. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Um, but those are just you know recent examples I mean, you can think of in history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just the but, so, but so there's no uh, inmates who write from a point of anger? Or are they in the literary magazine? There's um, no one looking to uncover scandals? N- no. I mean, uh, they don't really have the res- I mean, they don't really have the resources for it. To break um, news? They haven't. I think investigative journalism is not a super strong skill there. Um, but also, um, I forgot where you were going with this. Investigative journalists. There are no, none. you were saying, you were saying like, is it coming from a place of anger ever? Like, yeah. so, so the biggest Just fired up guy, so the hardest thing is, uh, that, that we try to teach is, um, objectivity mm-hmm. and, uh, making sure getting rid of loaded words, words with bias, uh, because it creeps in without them realizing so it. So this could be a lesson for American journalism as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know? You know, and also attribution, right. um, you know, to for th- them, things that are truths might not be, and right. they have to attribute yeah. that well, to Well, and somebody. that must raise a challenge, because I'm sure there are, each guy there is convinced he's innocent. I mean, it's more complex than that. I mean, actually, no, like a lot of part of um, a big part of what San Quentin tries to do is for for um, the, the inmates to accept responsibility. And so you don't get that. But also the cases are so much more nuanced. I mean, it's really, you know, three strikes has had oh such a right. crazy big impact, you know. I mean, there's a guy, and of course, you know, and and just to to say, I mean, these are, I'm going, I'm talking about stories that I've been told. I'm not looking them up to make sure that they're accurate. But some of them are really heart-wrenching, you know. I just, I met a, um, one of my students was telling me that he was in on three strikes, I don't know, 10 to 20 years, maybe more. Um, His third, uh, none of them were violent, and his third offense was trying to steal a two hundred dollar Visa card. Mm-hmm. I've heard stories like that that are, you know, journalistically vetted yes. stories. My mom was a volunteer at a juvenile detention facility in Southern California for 30 years. And at one point she started talking about how so many of the kids there were totally innocent. And we just thought she had been sold a bill of goods and she was so naive. And then the Rampart scandal came out in L.A. and it turned out these boys were the victims of the Rampart scandal and had been framed and put there. So there's it's scary to know. Like, you can't know. Yeah, and it's also about... You know, they've had such horrible childhoods that mm-hmm. it's amazing to, you know, it's almost understandable that they went into a life of crime. And it's amazing yeah. to me that they even ended up at the newspaper 
you know, smart writing stories and, and having ambitions and, and, uh, and so it's, it's so hopeful. Yeah. I mean, for everyone, right? If that could be channeled. Is, is it inmate produced as far as printing goes as well? Printing is outsourced. That's too bad because yeah. those are practical skills. Well, it used to be. In fact, so the current editor, um, I'm getting his title totally wrong, but he's like the editor in chief, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he started uh, by printing. Mm-hmm. Actually, he was printing the papers and then got pulled into the content side. That's too bad they it. outsource it. I think that would be a really good skill for guys to learn. I mean, maybe not as much as it used to be. Oh. Well, who pays for the printing? Uh, grants and, and donations. Uh, they just won a huge award for the Logan, from the Logan Foundation. And Fantastic. So, uh, so that's really been a boost. So I have a question, and we're starting to run close to uh, – running out of time. You had said one of the reasons you went into this was because you had all these assumptions that you knew to be true, but you wanted to get up close and personal Mm -hmm. and see that they were actually true. So how has seeing, hearing all these people's stories, as I'm sure if you interact with them, you hear their stories and where they're coming from, has that confirmed, changed? How has it impacted you? I think I just, I, I feel them more. When I read about changes in criminal justice law um, for better or for worse, mm-hmm. now names and faces come up. Um, it's not just a generic. No more abstract. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's real people whose lives are. are and is that lost. good or is that a burden? Mm. I never thought about that. I think it's good. I mean, I'd have to say empirically it's probably good. But it's yeah. more stuff but to carry around with you. Yeah. also hard. I mean, it's um, – for me, I don't – I guess I don't see it as a burden. I do appreciate everything I have so much more. I mean, I appreciate the fact that I can leave. Right. <laughs> you know, I appreciate the fact that I can have a piece of chicken for dinner. I mean, these guys, right. you know, they get meat twice a month or something like that. Oh, yeah. And Joe Loya told us about trouble in the chow line. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> no, I mean, just from the sound of it, they subsist on ramen that they can buy at the. Um, oh. you know, the, and what the could concert. be less nourishing? <laughs> and, that, and they have that in common with other struggling writers. Yes. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I was thinking college students, but you're but, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I noticed one other thing. I noticed when I was looking through the website and list of advisors is you're much younger than most of the other advisors. There's mm-hmm. a lot of old timers who have put in like you know. Well, so, you know, um, when I first made an inquiry about it, they said, well, you know, we kind of prefer retired people because they'll stick around because they don't want um, they don't want you to think of this as a reporting opportunity, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, They don't want you to be able to write about it. Um, Would you write about it? um, I that's not why I took the job, but um, you know, it could happen because I. I mean, right. everything this in your experience, in your exactly. life, shapes what you mm-hmm. do. Of course, right? and you can't say you wouldn't write about something. It's right. just not realistic. Right. right. But what I, you know, but what I can say and what I did say is that you know that's not why I'm doing this. My question was actually because you're so much younger than everyone. Do you think you'll stick it out for a long time? I would like to. Um, you know, I started out saying that this was going to be once a week in the morning. I can totally do it. And um, once you get to know the guys, um, you just get pulled into it. I mean, I guess with like with anything. Yeah. Right? Um, I they would. I feel like I have to. So to stick it out. I can to stick it out because they would be disappointed. Um, I guess they're not graduating in two years. Some of them are. Some but, go, you know, yeah. But but yeah, I mean they they need continuity. Mm-hmm. But same point. So who do you feel more emotionally invested in now, them or your Berkeley people? Hopefully none of your Berkeley people are listening. <laughs> I, I can almost That's, assure you they're not. <laughs> that is really hard. I, mean, I love. I mean, I love my students there. Um, it's it's different because it must be totally different. Because at San Quentin, one of the things that I do tell them that I really believe in is that um, you know, for, for a lot of them, they spent most of their life not being heard. And so this is, I feel like this is a way for them to be heard and to be able to say what they think instead of maybe act mm-hmm. what they think. And, um, and I think especially in these times, their voice matters. It's huge. And it, but it must be completely different because your Berkeley classes are full of ambition. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think your San Quentin classes are full of ambition in that way. No, but you'd be surprised at how much optimism there is. It's not a depressing place. I mean, people, so interesting. they have ambitions for the paper. They have ambitions for other projects related to the paper. There's a, um, there's a magazine that they're working on. They're trying to redesign their website. Podcast. They're forward-looking about what they want to do afterwards. Um, the the top, top guy at the, the paper, um, you know, he has ambitions for when he gets out. He wants to create kind of like the satellite San Quentin News Bureau that could do some outside reporting for the inmates inside. That is incredible. Cool. I know. Yeah. That's and super so, cool. Um, you know, I while I've been there, it's only been a year, but there's um, there's one guy that's been paroled, and he still helps the paper out. And it's really gratifying to see because he got out of prison, got a job the first week. Um, one of the visitors who had come by the, the paper when he was still in prison um, was um, – was, um, ran a company, and he's now putting him through a training um, boot camp for coding. And presumably after he finishes that, he's going to get a job with them. And so, like, to see somebody like that come out, you know, kind of without stumbling. I mean, of of course he's an exception, but it's it's good to see. But he's also the alumni network. He is the alumni network. And it's it's the greatest hope you could have from prison, right? That there's some reform, that something mm-hmm. came of it. And it's, I just find it so sad that so much of criminal justice has become what feels like retribution. Yeah. And yeah. to what end? To us just paying and paying and paying and paying. And so stories like this are great for everyone, not just for them. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard because people do, I think some people that I... Some of my friends think that 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 you know I'm naive or I'm not seeing things mm-hmm. or I'm getting duped, but mm-hmm. you know I have to believe that I I, I know what I see. I'm a journalist. Um, mm-hmm. I know how to read people, and um, and people can change. You know, over decades, people can and people do change. I mean, I, I see also it. we all have moments in our life that if that is what defined us, we would be. You know, hopeless. Well, that's that's the other thing. And too, they have something that, that happens sometimes. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've really come to to see is that it's only some of these guys are in there because of a moment, and that moment could happen to any of us. I mean, I just right. the distance between them and me, or my friends, right. or my family, it's not as broad as you thought it was. Yeah, it could just be you know you had too much to drink one night, and you um, you took a wrong turn and went up the wrong side of a freeway and end up killing somebody, you know? Right. right. Mm-hmm. Bad, for sure bad. For sure bad. And yet. But, and they could be in jobs like you and I. Right. And they're in there now. And and there's just, it, it's, it's, it's a fleeting moment. I, and I've become more careful about, you know, like for with driving. Oh. I mean, not that I drink really, but, but I've become more careful about, about, I don't, I don't to know. To avoid I just, inadvertent bad moments. Yeah, not that not that they would happen, but I'm more cognizant, of, mm-hmm. I think, of how it only takes a brief moment of even unawareness. I think it's easy to look at other people's lives and think, oh, well, you've made your bed. Yeah. You know, right. And you yeah. sleep in it. And to just recognize that we all have that in us yeah. Is, yeah. is hard to face and probably the truth more often than not. Well... Yes. Wow, that's profound. Very profound. Mm, thank you. And uh, we're going to have to end on that. So kind of a positive, upbeat uh, ending, kind of yeah. like reading the San Quentin News itself, feeling a little right, upbeat. Right. If, are people able to subscribe? Yes. Or maybe they should. Uh, so it's sanquentinnews.com. And because it's a prison-run enterprise, you can't actually subscribe, so you have to click on the Donate mm. button, and it's it's um, done as a donation, but you will get a subscription. Even better. And you also pay for 220 papers. Um, so the, the minimum descrip- uh, subscription donation is $40, and if you do pay that, then that will help um, – put 220 papers in the hands of inmates. Fantastic. So. Awesome. I'm going to do it. And Yukari, if people want to access all of your work, including your new column about life in Trump's America, where can they go? 
www.yukarikane.com. That's Y-U-K-A-R-I-K-A-N-E.com. All right. Uh, Twitter? Twitter is um, at Yukari Kane, I think. I'm pretty consistent throughout. Uh, it's not <laughs> that hard because to find you me. Because you can. Because <laughs> your name's not Mary Smith. Right, right. Uh, there are a surprising number of Bridget Quinns. I'll just, and Larry Rosen's. Uh, don't even get me started. I am the only Yukari Kane in journalism. That's that pretty awesome. awesome. Yeah. Unlike me, I have a, um, a very powerful former... What do they call that talking head at Fox News? Oh, yeah. <laughs> who I'm competing with. I'm totally getting Not only are there a million Larry Rosens, <laughs> but there's a music writer who's way more successful than I ever was who has the same name as my wife. Think about how that goes over. What do you mean? Same first, same last name as my wife. I'm not saying her name on the radio, oh, but the okay. last name's Rosen. Oh, I see. It's a guy. Oh. He's very successful, oh. and I keep seeing her name in music writing. Wow. Not mine. Anyways, if you want huh. to get a hold of us... <laughs> <laughs> go to thegrottopod.com or at the Grotto Pod. Please go to YouTube. Go to iTunes. Download mm. us. Rate us. Five stars. Yeah, only. Otherwise, Comments, email us. Talk to us. Talk about how we interrupt each other. Mm. Uh, subscribe. Tell a friend. Uh, me at that Larry Rosen. Uh, other podcast is it good for the Jews? Dot com. That's how you get a hold of me. Okay. How about you? How about me uh, at bequintrust? That's Quinn with two N's. Bequintrust. <laughs> Even though I spelled it wrong one day on air. <laughs> Very professional. <laughs> I think I heard that one. <laughs> or at BridgetQuinnAuthor.com. And Larry, while we're at it, while I would like it. to thank our producers, Lori Ann Doyle, Beth Weingarner, and Lee Kravitz, without which this would not be possible. Nor would it be possible without the fine music from Sugartown. The best. That's it for us. You know, you can go out with our usual, yeah. uh, but I, what was written on Yukari's door? Oh, what is me. it? Oh, it said um, the difference between an amateur, amateur and, a and a professional is that the professional never stops, uh, never quits, right? Yeah. Which like is kind of like you saying. Because our tagline, outro, they call outro, it, sure. is read, write, and just keep working. Yeah. There you Perfect. go. There you go. All right. All right.